Good afternoon. My name is Alex Bundridham. And I'm the coach of Mayor's and Disability Council. Good afternoon and welcome to the Mayor's Disability Council this Friday, February 16, 2024. Today we meet together with um, the Disability and Aging Services Commission. This is an <coughs> in-person and virtual Hybrid meeting. This meeting is broadcast to the public on SFGov.tv. is up, <coughs> up the open caption and sign language interpreter. Interpreted. If you need any other accommodation or have difficulty attending this meeting, please send an email to mod at sfgrowth.org or call four. <coughs> Six seven eight nine. <clears throat> the Mayor's Disability Council hold ten public meetings where every they are generally held on the third Friday of the month for for information about past or in. Upcoming meeting visit the MOD website at www.sfgov.org slash MOD. The next regular meeting would be on um, um, on Friday, March 15, 2024, from 1 to 4 p.m., it will be also be a habit meeting and would be broadcast on sfgrowth.tv. We thank you for joining us. Our click today is John Costed, who will be performing this version with the use of an essay and sorry, ASL interpreter. Clark, can you please contact the local? Thank <laughs> you.
Hello. This is John Cost, and I will be naming the roll call now. For the MDC council members, we'll start there. Alex Madrid. Here. Sherry Albers. have the one mic on right now. Excuse me, you need the individuals. It's on now. Yeah. Okay, next we have Orchid Sasuni. My system says that they are on right now. Okay. John here again, starting over Alex Madrid. Here. Sherry Albers. Present. Orchid Sasuni. Present. Denise Senhow which I believe is an online participant. Uh, Patricia Ars Arek. Eric, I'm here. And now we'll start with uh, members from the DAC Council. Janet Y. Spears. Present. Nelson Loom, Lum? Present. Martha Kuntz, Kuntzen. Sancha. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Thank you. Linda Parker Pennington. Present. Barbara. 
Sklar. Excuse me, you forgot to call my name. Excuse me, Wanda Jung, present. Thank you. Thank you. Can you please be done? At this time, members of the public may address the council. Item number one is the welcome and roll call. Action items will be read next. Then we have general public comment. Then information item. Then the next will be in, uh, an information topic. And next will be a presentation by Nicole Bonn uh, for a report from the mayor's office on disability. Then there will be a discussion item, update on the Disability Community Culture Center. Uh, number seven will be, uh, uh, there's an, uh, excuse me, um, MOD Deputy Director Debbie Kaplan will discuss correspondence. And then uh, number eight will be general public comment. And number nine, there will be an information item from Alex Madrid and number 10, adjournment. And number 11 is another action item, uh, excuse me, rather, an action item adjournment. Control room, can you please um, focus the camera on the clerk, please, when the clerk is speaking. Thank you. And the next part will be the general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the council on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council, which are not on today's public meeting agenda. Each member 
of the public may address the council for up to three minutes, unless the co-chair determines that, in the interest of time, comments may be limited to a shorter time when there are a large number of public comments. With respect to today's item-specific discussion items, your opportunity to address the council will be afforded at the conclusion of each discussion item before the council discussion begins. A reminder that the Brown Act forbids the council from taking action or discussing any items not appearing on the posted agenda, including those items raised at public comment. If you would like a response from the council, please provide your contact information by email to mdc at sfgov.org with the subject MDC comment reply request or call 415-554-6789. If you join the webinar using your tablet or smartphone, use the WebEx app, click on the three horizontal dots icon and then click on the raise hand component. We will recognize you when it is your turn. You may also use the Q&A feature in WebEx in the webinar to make a comment. It is located on the top part of the video after touching the screen. If you are using a desktop or laptop computer, press raise hand and the Q&A icons, which are located at the bottom of the video screen. If you join by phone, dial star three to indicate that you would like to make a comment. We will prompt you when it's your turn. And are there any public comments at this time? We do have one public comment card uh, from Mr. Lopez, if you would like to come forward. Please do. I think we need to set the timer here, just a moment. Hello. Uh, many disabled people in San Francisco, as I, want to work and become productive citizens. However, as you are aware, numerous industries in the private sector have been slow in accepting disabled workers or do not consider, them, consider hiring them at all. Most private industry managers believe that the, that the disabled do not have the agility, intelligence, skills, and capacity to learn or train for many occupations and careers. Others will hire one or two disabled persons for menial jobs while boasting that they are doing their part to eliminate workplace discrimination. The only glimmer of hope 
that the disabled can look to is government and its initiatives to help the disabled through funding or train for training, uh, support for accommodations, and in some cases, programs aimed at direct hiring of disabled people. Mm. One such city government program that promotes entry-level hiring of the disabled among its ranks is the Access to City Employment, also known as the ACE program. While the program's intentions are admirable, it, far, it falls far short of the expectations of its clients, the disabled. It takes months, even years, for ACE to place a client. One disabled person in the mayor's office waited three years to be hired after constantly applying. I too have tried many times for city jobs through the ACE program, but all in vain, notwithstanding a graduate degree and years of working for multinational companies. And, uh, and so I'm here to ask that you, the Mayor's Disability Council, to mandate all city departments to open their arms to, to the disabled and to employ at least 5% of their staff with disabled people in all departments, at least 5%. We, the disabled, all want to be fellow working citizens and to do our part in society and for the city of San Francisco. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Do we have other public comment at this time? Should I give this card to someone up here? Hello, good afternoon. My name is Flo Chin, and I'm coming today to lodge a complaint. I have been, I guess, about 15 years ago, I've been asking for communication access for myself. I was born and raised in San Francisco. My family is from San Francisco. We own property in San Francisco, and I've come to City Hall with several frustrations, uh, especially during the mask mandate with communication barriers. People will not take the mask off for uh, establishing communication as far as reading lips and so forth. And I've asked for a VRA, VRI station to be set up for communication access needs here. It's been very frustrating. And it's not just uh, in San Francisco, but there's several other municipal, municipal uh, departments that should be providing access, Rec and Park and so forth. And I have to use a personal app or phone to uh, get access to communication and uh, for you know, communication with different city departments. There are several other languages offered for interpretation services, Spanish, Chinese, and so forth, but not ASL, which is very frustrating. Even if I go into uh, any department in City Hall or any other uh, city businesses or organizations, they tell me that they can't provide interpreting access, uh, that they need two weeks notice, so I can't just show up and uh, request services or get my needs met. It's extremely frustrating. 
Thank you for your attention uh, to this matter. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your comment. Um, do we have any comment at this time in, in person? Do we have anyone in Roberts? We're going to. We do have another uh, person from the general public. I'm going to stand over here at the, uh, uh, at the bubble where the camera seems to be focused. Hello, thank you council, good afternoon. Thank you council members and staff and uh, public community members. I haven't attended a meeting in quite some time, maybe 15 years, 13 to 15 years or so. And I uh, didn't feel that there was a lot uh, for me to do here. But the community has been asking me to speak up on, uh, in support of access and uh, different barriers that the deaf community is facing. This community is uh, extremely focused on um, spoken language and, uh, and audio, um, audio communication. Whereas there are, and I'm not speaking specifically to the uh, myriad of disabilities that people have in the world. I'm speaking to specifically the oddest approach to how the city handles things. So that if we cannot make a com comment with speech, we are directed into other avenues, various corners, and asked to filter our simple requests through various systems simply to get our accommodation needs met to be able to make a comment, whereas other people can come in and get their needs met in person very easily, even if they need interpretation services. This has been something that has been going on for years. These complaints have been brought to this particular council for years. People have been going to the second floor, for example, in this building and making these comments, specifically to the mayor's office. And I'm asking for more than lip service. This is the mayor's disability council. If you make noise, on these topics, on these issues, more than what you've been, been just uh, kind of a head nod. I need, I need more minutes because of translation purposes. Three minutes is not going to be enough for this. Rather, uh, if you gave attention to our community and the needs that we are asking you to address, the barriers we're asking you to address, rather than just giving us lip service, it would be extremely important 
It is offensive to have this same issue be discussed for over a decade, where this time has been, or this time and again has been brought to your attention. It's been at least 16 years that I personally know of, and I appreciate your time. I feel, I feel that the mayor's office on disabilities should be closed, and then maybe at that point the mayor would actually pay attention to this request that's been ongoing for years. Thank you for your comment. Do we have any comment for um, WebEx at this time? Thank you. Now we're going back to uh, item number four. Uh, my report as a co-chair um, since the December 2023 meeting, the MDC has been monitoring responses from the city departments to the agua recommendation to install wheeled mobilitarians stations at sites within San Francisco. Um, several departments have indicated interested and MOD will coordinate the feasibility research and pilot project designed to be conducted. We are very pleased that this year cohort of San Francisco have decided to make this one of the projects for this winter and spring. They would make a report to the MDC about it at the April 19 meeting regarding the um, automatics, automotors vehicle issue that the council heard about at the October 2023 meeting, the House of the held a public forum on automotive vehicle and pedestrian safety on February 8th. The Employment Committee is planning to have a follow-up meeting to the Department of Human Resources regarding the presentation of the October 23 MDC public meeting about reasonable accommodation in the hiring process. The Housing Committee is planning the agenda for the March 11 MDC meeting, which will be focusing on the public, the problem of dysfunctioning and value in public housing. That's my report. Now I'm going to have 
Hello. Okay, we got it. Hello. Hi, everyone. I'm Nicole Vaughn. I'm the director of the Mayor's Office on Disability. And I'd like to especially welcome our members of the DAS Commission uh, today for our second uh, joint hearing. Uh, we're very pleased uh, to have you with us for today's items. This director's report to the Mayor's Disability Council is just a snapshot of some of the issues that the Mayor's Office on Disability has been engaged with over January and February. Members of the public who wish to engage with aspects of this report, please contact us at mod at sfgov.org or you can call us at 415-554-6789. This full report will be posted to sf.gov backslash mod following today's meeting. And we can also um, give you this in an alternative format if you contact us via the phone number if you don't have access to the internet. So a few legislative updates that I wanted to provide that the council has been tracking. Uh, the council has uh, been tracking for some time the file number 231020, amending the rules of order related to remote public comment. There isn't change related to this item, but I did want to let you all know that Deputy Director Kaplan will be attending Commission Secretary's meeting on February 20, which is this coming Tuesday, to help public body clerks better understand their obligation to provide reasonable accommodation in the instance of remote uh, public comment. The council may wish to monitor or call for an update on this item at a future hearing. <clears throat> also wanted to highlight that the uh, legislative amendments for the disability access improvements for places of public accommodation uh, file 231005, that's better known as the Accessible Business Entrance Ordinance, is uh, still in progress and I believe that members of our council are engaged with Supervisor Mandelman's office related to that. Um, and would also like to continue to encourage you to continue working with uh, Supervisor Melgar's office around um, our progress around honoring uh, the legacy of, of Judy Human. Related to uh, state legislation, I don't have significant updates today. Uh, but federally, I wanted to let you know that last time I announced the Federal Register request for comment on the U.S. Census, and I am very excited to give you the update that after extensive nationwide comment provided by persons with disabilities, advocacy organizations, and municipalities like us at the city and county of San Francisco who are concerned about, who were concerned, about potential undercounting 
of deaf and disabled persons and impacts to federal and state programs. Uh, the comments help to maintain the way that uh, disability status information is collected by the census. This is an exceptionally positive step for the disability community and thanks especially to our colleagues at the Human Services Agency and Disability and Aging Services Policy Teams for assisting in submitting comment. Uh, just a few more things that I wanted to highlight for today and we'll move on to our presentations. In terms of news and announcements, I wanted to let you know that MOD has been actively engaged in, with colleagues in the Department of Emergency Management regarding disability access and community protocols in extreme weather and power outages. The council may wish, wish to request an update to this item at a future hearing date. And just a reminder, we're getting another storm uh, this weekend. Please stay safe in extreme, and in that extreme weather is expected again. Make sure you sign up for alerts through Alert SF by texting your zip code to 888-777. And you can bookmark the Alert SF and sf72.org websites. This information can also be accessed if you need to by calling our colleagues at 311. The additional items for consideration for uh, future hearings um, remain largely the same. And as Co-Chair Madrid mentioned, we have some items coming up. I just wanted to also highlight that we, as MOD, have been engaged with uh, the Ramped Taxi Program update. SFMTA has received some funding through uh, federal and state programming to uh, work towards improvements in this service. Uh, you may want to uh, learn about that at a future date. Um, there's also uh, work being done with the Department of Environment around uh, dining reusables and also uh, directly related with our colleagues in disability and aging services, age and disability friendly San Francisco implementation. It's been a while since you've heard an update from them. Uh, and so just some things for uh, consideration for now. Uh, that ends my report. Thank you very much. Thank you, Jacob. Did, did you tell us, Ben? And before I go forward on item number five, I just want to acknowledge um, disability Aging and Services Commission and the directory are um, joining us today with important issue. So I just want to um, welcome you all. Um, now we are going forward to item number five, which is discussion item on update on the disability um, community culture center um, presented by Marcia Pitson, San Francisco Office of Community Partnerships. Mika, I'm sorry about your name, um, and 
um, um, the biggest um, disability com community culture centers. Welcome. Uh, thank you so much, um, everyone. So my name is Maceo Person. I'm a special projects manager with the Department of Disability and Aging Services. Um, and I'm here with, it's just an incredible privilege to be able to introduce to you the new operators of the Disability Cultural Center, Elsie and Lily Cox Haven of Hope. Sorry. <laughs> I'll slow down. Thank you. Um, so this grant is going to create the nation's first municipally funded community cultural center that's led by and centering disability community, adding another chapter to San Francisco's prolific disability history. Uh, the disability cultural center will be located at 165 Grove Street on the corner of Van Ness and Grove, which is overlooking City Hall. I know some of you have been watching its construction, um, so you can see sort of the skeleton of it, which is really exciting. Um, and the cultural center is gonna be located on the ground floor of the Kelsey Civic Center, which is a disability forward and affordable housing community built by the Kelsey and Mercy Housing with 112 of beautifully and accessible new housing units. So the center is gonna be a space full of life where people will be able to access referrals to critical services, explore and express their identities through art and education, and where community will be able to gather and advocate for change and to connect to each other. So it's super exciting, um, and it's, a, again, a great privilege to be able to introduce to you the operators and the three co-chairs of the Disability Cultural Center, um, who will be able to talk a little bit more about what it's gonna look like and the plans around it all. Um, Mika Key-Weisbush is, I believe, on virtually. Uh, Dagny Brown is one of the co-chairs, but not here with us today. Uh, and then here in person is Emily Bakis. So thank you. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Um, just me today. Uh, Mika and Dagny are doing other work tied to our cultural center. So I'm uh, very happy to get to share with you about our, our plans and what's un underway. <coughs> do I just cue this? Do I cue this myself? Is that right? Yes. Okay. So um, we're, we're benefiting from the work that was done in 2018 um, led by the Longmore Institute with uh, Department of Disability and Aging Services to develop a strategic plan. Um, and there was an advisory council of disabled leaders who helped us come up with a mission statement and a vision statement following uh, a, a large amount of collection of data from the San Francisco disability population at that time. So they offered us this mission statement by providing hybrid educational, artistic, and social networking opportunities, the San Francisco Disability Cultural Center brings diverse people with disabilities together to access resources, advance social justice, and foster disability culture, community, and pride. We envision a city with a strong sense of disability culture and identity where the people with disabilities who live, work, and visit actively engage in the services and supports available to them, fully participate in civic life, and feel valued and proud of who they are. So uh, Maceo has already shared a little bit about the space. Um, it will be directly across from City Hall, which we're so excited about. I know in 2018, when people were sharing their hopes and dreams, 
uh, people had a lot of specifications that it be within four blocks of BART and Muni, uh, that it be near so many of the other disability organizations where disabled people have to go to access various services. And so we're incredibly happy to have this um, uh, be located in the Kelsey Civic Center, especially with that connection of the Kelsey Civic Center having disability forward housing. Um, in 2018, when we did the research of, of looking at all of the other city cultural centers, it was really clear that some of the ones that were most thriving had that built in, live in dis uh, or local community population that could tap into the cultural center. So we think it's just really, really valuable and important that there will be um, disabled people living in the building uh, as sort of the, hopefully the core of who's coming, but also using that core to, to grow and expand to many others. So it's a really small space though. It's um, 1,876 square feet, which is including a courtyard space. And we're really doing a lot to think about how that courtyard space is going to be a really important addition to the, the space because so many people with disabilities are still do not feel comfortable or safe in just inside spaces. So we're building out a wall that will allow that to really be an inside outside venue with some heaters because we know San Francisco can get cold so that um, people who just cannot come to in-person can still benefit from the cultural center. It's also hybrid is core to everything that we're planning. And it's really amazing that in 2018, before the pandemic, uh, the people who we spoke with in that strategic planning phase had, had then articulated how incredibly important it was to disability community to have this be hybrid. So that was already part of the plan, even more so part of the plan. As we know, it is a small space that is really looking at about like 50 to 70 people for some of the bigger events. That's, that's very small, but when we think of it as hybrid, um, we know we'll be able to reach many more people in the population. And also using that as an opportunity to um, not just limit this to San Francisco residents, even though that will be primarily who we're focused on serving, but by being able to offer the digital, we hope that San Francisco can continue to be a, a leader for disability culture as it has historically been. So I'm going to show some renderings that uh, come from us, from the architects who we've been working with, who've just been amazing partners, but these are still very much work in progress and uh, I'll be describing them, but there are a lot of little access features that are tied to the way the design software works. So I just wanna say we know that this is not yet complete and I'll sort of flag what some of those are. So this shows a layout of the space um, where there are seats uh, set up as sort of facing a front projection this is kind of imagining like we're hoping we're hosting Superfest, the disability film festival that will now be run by the cultural center, or we're hosting a, a speaker event. Uh, so more kind of traditional, like big, bigger crowd environment. Um, and it has, uh, this image has all the same types of seats, but we know that already core to our design philosophy is lots of different kinds of seating to accommodate lots of different kinds of bodies. Uh, so they wouldn't be all this sort of traditional seating. Um, one of the things that is core to the design feature is just a lot of plants and a lot of color. We heard very early on that so many people feel that they have to spend a lot of time in institutional spaces where uh, they, it's just not a very joyful space. So uh, that's gonna be a very key element for making this feel just immediately warm and celebratory when you enter it. I've clicked to a new slide that shows um, all of those 
stadium sort of seats now swapped and instead it's just a lot of furniture that shows like that there could be somewhere where you would just lie down and rest your body if you're out and about in civic center and you need a place to just take a break or you could be meeting with a friend and just sitting there uh, having a conversation catching up Off to the left, when you enter, there's a library space where we'll have rotating books to show off some of the incredible works that are being published in disability studies and disability activism. We, uh, we heard from a lot of people that they really want artwork to just be this way to celebrate local disabled artists. Um, and rather than sort of pick one or two things, we're instead planning to build this space so it has lots of um, options for how we can rotate art so that we'll kind of constantly be rotating through. There's just far too many local dis disabled artists to just pick a couple. We wanna be able to show off a lot. There is a side conference room, and again, all the all the chairs are no good, so just know that I know that. Um, so uh, there's a side conference room that is being built out to be hybrid, and this will be a place where it won't just be all on the Disability Cultural Center programming to serve community. It will allow a lot of other organizations to come take advantage of the central place to um, use our meeting space, which will be accessible. We heard when we did the planning in 2018, we heard from people who had just participated in the Women's March and really wanted to be involved, but felt that a lot of the behind the scenes organizing was taking place in inaccessible spaces. So there was a real desire to have access to a disability accessible friendly space where people could say like, come, let's plan this together and you come to me. So uh, we're, we're thinking of this side meeting room as a place where lots of different groups can uh, have access to rent out. So currently we're in a planning stage, which will go until June, 2024. We're getting all of our infrastructure and systems in place, and we're doing a lot of listening. We've been meeting with uh, a ton of different disability leaders uh, to hear what the ways that the DCC can support their organizations and some of the work that's already happening in San Francisco and really be a hub for helping make connections happen. Um, and we're also doing a series of focus groups uh, that are meant to make sure that we're listening to some of the communities most marginalized within disability population. Um, we're very confident that, you know, there's a lot of people who we know are already looking forward to this and know about this and are gonna show up when we're ready to do that ribbon cutting. But we wanna make sure that some of the people who maybe don't even feel comfortable identifying with the word disability, but would really benefit from some of the community and the culture that we're gonna to have to offer um, are able to learn about this. So these focus groups are focused on that. Um, so actually, I'll skip, skip to this slide and return to that. Um, we, uh, the, the focus groups that we're, we're focusing on, um, sorry, that's awkward. Um, <laughs> we have already completed LGBTQIA+, uh, and disabled a BIPOC and disabled, um, and we did one with people who are physically isolating, uh, whether that be because of, um, transportation and unable to leave the house very often or, um, because of, uh, COVID safety. Um, some of the upcoming ones that we have are systems impacted, so under wanting to connect with people who have particularly um, traumatized relationships to like being in institutions, whether that be uh, formally incarcerated or foster uh, youth from 
have um, left the foster youth system. We've done one with transition-aged youth, and we're grateful to partner with Access SFUSD for that focus group. Um, and we have more coming up. Um, we have one focused on deaf community, uh, one on sp primary Spanish speakers uh, that will be conducted in Spanish. And um, I didn't bring my glasses. One second. Uh, one for the unhoused, where we're partnering with the San Francisco Public Library. So we're in that planning stage right now, gathering all that feedback. We'll also be having a town hall on March 5th um, to hear much more broadly from those, rather than those specific populations that will show up in our focus groups, that's just open to anybody in the disability community. We'll share a little bit about what we're planning and we'll listen and collect more ideas for what people are hoping and dreaming of for this space. Then in July, 2024 for Disability Pride Month, we will kick off and begin with some, uh, a year of virtual programming. Um, and then uh, in the spring or summer, depending on when the, the Kelsey Civic Center is open and when the space is open, uh, we will begin our brick and mortar stage and we will begin two years of hybrid programming for the Disability Cultural Center. So that is what's underway. Um, I am happy to answer questions and hear more. And I am extremely grateful to the people in this room who've been so many of the players working behind the scenes to make this happen. It's just been a tremendous honor for myself, Dagny, and Mika to get to be a part of this and for the Haven of Hope and the Longmore Institute to get to be the two organizations with this, this incredible responsibility of move, moving this thing forward. Thank you, Emily. At this time, we're going, I just want to let people know uh, how we're going to do this. So first we're going to do public comment and then we're going to do consent and commissioning members' questions um, following by questions from the staff, okay? The checklist open the um, public comment. We have the camera on the clerk, please, control room. Thank you. Uh, now comment is open for anyone in the audience or the public comment. Please step up uh, to the microphone or fill out a comment card. Uh, and fill out whatever information that you'd like and then share anything with us. Is there anyone in the audience who would like to make public comment at this time? Seeing none, uh, do we have anyone on WebEx? No. All right, thank you. Uh, just to let the chair know, there is no public comment at this time. Thank you, click now. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt, one more thing. 
If you would like a response from the council, please provide your contact information email to mdc at sfgov.org with the subject line MDC comment reply requested or call us at 415-555-6789. And back to you, uh, Chair. Thank you. Uh, at this time, I see Orchid Society is one of the council members has questions, and then after that, I'm going to ask each of you, please, if you have um, questions, I'm just going to call on you after Orchid. Go ahead, Orchid. Please go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, hello. Thank you so much to Emily for your presentation. I wanted to circle back to the part uh, regarding the deaf community and ASL using community, which I believe will be next week on February 22nd from 2 to 5 p.m. 4 to 5 from 4 to 5 p.m. I'm noticing that the ASL community, um, it's being hosted on Zoom and that it will be led, I don't know if you're um, letting people know, I don't know if there is a lot of um, awareness in the public about that event. So I'm concerned that no one is showing up because of lack of um, getting that out to the community. I think we need to do a few things. Um, we need a um, deaf interpreter who can uh, for that meeting specifically, I would recommend a deaf interpreter for that meeting. You would be working with a hearing interpreter um, and then a deaf interpreter. Uh, I think for some people who live in San Francisco, English is um, not a language that they use. And so really to get the community's feedback, I would suggest you work with a hearing and deaf interpreter team. I have good news because I just got the email confirming that we have a deaf interpreter, so we're on board. Um, and it's only, the focus groups are small because it's just an hour, uh, so it's only five people. So um, we do want more broad participation at the town hall where we want everybody, um, but at this point we're just looking for five uh, people, but we still do have a couple spots, so we would love the help spreading the word, and I will follow up with you, Orchid, as well as many other outreach that we've been doing. Thank you. Great, Th thank you so much. Thank you, Orchid. Um, um, Council Member Abbott. No. I can use Alex, Mike. Um, thank you, Emily. Um, I've been looking forward to um, another report on the, um, the DCC. Um, now that it's uh, 
really, really coming along, and I'm seeing these renderings. It's it's getting exciting. Um, I have a few concerns. Um, what it, it it's a smaller space than I was anticipating. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't paying attention in the beginning. <laughs> um, also, I I was ex I was envisioning more. Uh, smaller um, separate spaces for meetings with um, people and their um, maybe DOR counselors or social workers or things like that um, as places where people could come and have private conversations. Um, there's a lot of open space I see. What My concern is what's to prevent this from just being a hangout for people who just need to have take a seat and you know just have a place to go um, and who's monitoring like that kind of thing happening is that what we wanted what you wanted to be like and what exactly are the focus groups asking what kind of questions are you asking now thank you oh you got some good stuff um, I think that, yes, this space is small. There's no doubt. I, I think that in 2018, we had no idea where the space would be. And so all of the planning at that point was like, what are your dreams? And the dreams were very big and they involved a lot of different options. And this, this space is small. Um, I think that uh, part of what we're planning is that not everything is also happening in the space. Part of what we can do is be a connector that organizes some of the things that are going out into community and working with a lot of other different organizations. So for example, you know, we are bringing a lot of connections to the other museums and some of what we might be doing is organizing disability meetups that visit the Asian art museum on a certain day or so it, it doesn't all have to happen in the space while the um, DCC will be the hub of the organizing of it. Um, I also think there's opportunities for some of the places that are just so close to us, like partnering with the public library, who's already somebody we've been talking about, where they have bigger space options for when we want something that's bigger than a 70-person space. Um, I think in terms of the hangout question, um, that's a really big one. That's a, that's a very big one that we are grappling with, of on the one hand, that is what we want. We want people together. We don't want everything to just be structured. We want a place where people can network informally and hang out with a friend and be in a space where they feel a sense of belonging and comfort and uh, hopefully a, a little bit of a break from the ableism that is in so many other spaces. Uh, and also knowing uh, where this is and how many people uh, don't have access to public space and, and, and what that might look like with such a small space where it could, it could uh, immediately be inundated with too many people just hanging out, spending a whole day, and nothing else is really possible. Um, so we're just planning a lot around what that's going to look like. It involves uh, things like people who are having access to the space need to be able to participate in certain kind of like community guidelines and an onboarding before you can just sort of come in and spend time there. Uh, a real mixture of like days where it's open office hours, uh, not open office hours like in a academic -y sense, but just like, yes, this is a time where it's just open, come hang out and chill, and other times where it will only be open if you RSVP to participate in a certain program that's underway. Um, so a, a real mixture. 
uh, and a lot of a lot of planning that's happening right now for how we will handle some of the conflicts that will come up and like what what it'll look like for how the space is used if there are certain things really wanting to make sure that all of our staff is trained in de-escalation and uh, supporting some of the messiness that's going to happen um, and then oh there's one more thing in there I wanted to get at like what is your what are your focus groups oh whatever thank you um, the focus groups that we're asking different questions depending on the the, the focus of, of the focus group so uh, for example the physically isolated one we wanted to ask questions that explored things like you know if there's an in-person event that has some in-person tangible experience like it's a cooking demonstration but it's also hybrid so people at home can be learning how to cook the thing too but everybody's tasting something like how do you want us to kind of grapple with that that you're having a different experience than people in the room so that's an example some of the questions are kind of targeted specifically to that group others are just generally asking you know how do we best represent the communities you're a part of uh, trying to understand that we are wanting people to come in the door with all of the identities they hold and not just disabled and push everything else out. So really asking people like what it's gonna look like to feel comfortable in this space as a BIPOC disabled person, as an LGBTQ disabled person, uh, and exploring lots of questions around you know, programs that are broad and open to everybody versus affinity group programs. So just kind of um, listening to people for what their hopes and dreams are and getting brilliant ideas for what some of the programming can be that just expands what what our staff would come up with thank you uh, i'm going to ask any missionaries if any questions I, I didn't thought of a no from the disability and anything I'm gonna say and I don't have any questions, but I just wanna say how excited I am about it and I'm, I'm looking forward to talking one-on-one. -on -one. About this project, it's been a long time coming, and I'm I'm looking forward to exploring. I'm specifically, I put I I put stuff. Um, so that is all. And thank you for all your work. Thank you. Looking forward to talking to you one on one as well. Thank you, Sasha. Are there any commissioners at this time? <laughs> huh, here we go. We just used the one one over. <laughs> that seems to work. It's okay? Um, I just wanted to, uh, as um, the president of the Disability and Aging Services, I we've been hearing about this project going forward, and I just wanted to comment and say glad to see that we're on 
uh, we're having these multiple listening sessions um, and collaborating with the various communities with multiple um, identities in order to get the best product out. So thank you for this update and appreciate being in this joint meeting today. Thank you, commissioners. Um, I saw commissioners first. Uh, God, commissioners. I have a comment. Pennington? Yep. And then we'll go back to online. Thank you. Nope. We don't have your microphone yet. Sorry. I'm not sure what's up. Try it again. Oh, this one's on. Is it on now? Okay. Hello? Okay. We're live. All right. Thank you so much. I really. Uh, as, as Commissioner Spears said, we, we, we have been hearing about this, and now it's exciting to see what it looks like and to see it emerge um, uh, and get more detail about it. So I, I did have a question about your groupings, your focus groups. Mm -hmm. I, I have a corporate background, and there's a lot of interest in the autistic community, and mm -hmm. I was wondering if you had some uh, focus group around the um, autistic community? Mm -hmm. Um, so we definitely grappled with that. We, uh, we did do deaf community specifically because of thinking of the language focus for how a focus group works, but we uh, instead really have been prioritizing that all the focus groups have a, a wide range of disability representation. Uh, mm -hmm. So we have a lot of neurodivergent people uh, participating in all of them. So uh, rather than just a specific one, because we all of a sudden it was that box of like, well, how many ones do we do going with each specific disability? So um, instead we're just, that's part of uh, what we're looking at when we have people fill out the intake form, which I'm gonna use that to uh, quickly do a plug, which is that I forgot to share the link uh, verbally, which is it's tinyurl.com slash DCC focus groups. So if people are checking this out at home, um, they can uh, still join some of the remaining ones or the town hall and sign up there. But we ask a, a big range of disability questions there uh, so that we can look. And, and also uh, part of that is ensuring that even though each one has a certain focus of like what we're pulling forward, you know, disability and BIPOC, that doesn't mean that's the only one where we're having disability and BIPOC or the only one we're having disability and LGBTQ. It just means that's kind of like the guiding force to the conversation, but we're looking for all kinds of diversity at all of them. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I see, guess, one has a commission in them. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, thank you very much for the, you know, the tremendous amount of work that has, uh, has been put forth in, in order to, to have all this uh, positive progress you know, on this particular project. Uh, one, one question I do have is that uh, has there been any uh, special provisions made towards uh, facilitating the needs of disabled veterans? Uh, yes. Oh, that's the group I forgot. I knew there was one. <laughs> that is one. The one other focus group we have is the disability and veterans one. It's happening two weeks from now. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. 
Are there any commissioners or um, council members ask questions? I believe we had one on uh, WebEx, is that correct? Yes. Go ahead, uh, council member Iraq, please. Uh, yes, a couple of questions for uh, Emily. Um, uh, number one, is there a mailing list and can you give more information about this uh, town hall meeting? Is it going to be online or is it in person? How can, how can we find out more information about that? That's the first question. Thank you, yes. Um, yes, we've launched just a very basic website as we're, uh, we've just hired our whole team of web designers and Salesforce designers and all of that. So um, the, the very basic website allows you to sign up for our listserv and it's disabilityculturalcenter.org. We are super stoked nobody had that yet. So, <laughs> um, and the town hall, if you enter information on the tinyurl.com slash DCC focus groups, uh, you can sign up for that and we'll we'll send you uh, the Zoom information. It is on Zoom entirely. As at this point, we are still just a virtual operation. And through okay. the, oops. And, uh, another, uh, another question. <clears throat> this may be a little premature, but I highly recommend that when you're figuring out your uh, furniture, you include several hip chairs for people who have mobility issues and uh, cannot, cannot sit in a normal chair that's like 18 to 20 inches from the floor. The chairs are usually 27, 28, 29 inches. And uh, I know myself personally, uh, I can't get up out of the chair. It either takes two people to get me up or I don't go. Mm -hmm. But if you, have, if you have several hip chairs, People that uh, are weak and can't stand up from a normal chair would feel much more comfortable going to uh, the center. Thank you. Uh, chairs, we are thinking a lot about chairs. We are definitely aware that like the, the starting with a, a sense of belonging is if you're gonna be at an event for an hour or two hours, you wanna feel comfortable. Uh, so yes, we've heard hip chairs, we've heard chairs that you know have necessarily necessary bars to be able to transfer out of a wheelchair if you're gonna hang out for a little bit longer um, and cha chairs that are big enough to um, accommodate patrons who are fat, in fat bodies. So definitely want that to be kind of core to how we give that sense of belonging is just this like no one size fits all approach to everything that we're featuring in the design. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have a question, Emily. Thank you for coming. Um, couple. I have a couple of questions before the staff ask questions. One question is that do you have a focus group that include people with disability discussing what's going to happen. And I understand you give us a uh, overview. What's the um, 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 the, this is the 
but look like but I just wondering if there is a um, focus group or a group that can advise um, on what this is about look like or might um, um, have some plans going forward. Just one question. The second question is that I don't that um uh, it's the truth of I know um San Francisco State is one of the uh, main um organization that uh, organizing this is I just wondering if you have any plan on any classes within DCC um, that's from San Francisco State. I think it would be good to have classes within DCC that's from um, San Francisco State. Let me start with us too, and then I have another one. Thank you. Um, the first question, uh, we are currently working to assemble our advisory committee. Um, a, a goal for the advisory committee is that um, it include representation from all the um, most marginalized inside the disability community. So it matches up the same with the focus groups. Uh, although some people have fit many of those boxes. And um, so we're kind of working to put together the right mixture of folks. And we've already got a couple of council members uh, lined up. Uh, so definitely that's essential. I mean, we're, we're so aware that even with our, our diverse team that we still need to like always be listening to community feedback for what types of programs we should be doing. Um, in terms of classes through SF State, so uh, SF State, the Longmore Institute is a subcontractor on this project. Haven of Hope is the operator uh, and they're a nonprofit. Um, and I think it's an interesting idea. We've certainly played around with a lot of programming that would be various like, you know, speakers and bringing in some disability studies and uh, have that kind of piece. But in, in terms of actual classes tied to the university, it's not something we've thought about just because Longmore Institute isn't even allowed to offer classes formally. Um, but it's, it's something to play with. Yeah. I think it would be something to consider because it's, um, it's like you say, it's a contract. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And the last question I have is that I know that um, the main building is housing um, for people with disability. And um, long time ago, this is what discussing was um, trying to mimic. Um, Ed Roberts campus. I just curious if um, how do you or how did you guys are trying to um, still? I know that the building is still under construction, but I just curious on trying to mimic. Um, accessibility park with um, Ed Roberts campus in Berkeley. 
Um, well, in San Francisco, we're going to do our own thing, but um, <laughs> so mimic. But uh, uh, no, I mean, we, you. <laughs> you <wanna use> it. <laughs> we we will learn extensively from. I mean, one of the first things that. Um, I led with the team is like a, a site visit to Ed Roberts to see what's already out there, learn from what's already uh, in existence. Um, the Longmore Institute spent a lot of time working at the Ed Roberts campus because we had an exhibition that was there for six months. Um, so we've we've hosted many events in that space and are really familiar with what are the strengths and what are some of the, the challenges. Um, I also think that Ed Roberts campus came up a lot in 2018 when we were hearing from community, um, both the desire for San Francisco to have what the Ed Roberts campus has. And also there were a lot of people who felt like when the Ed Roberts campus uh, opened that it had so many different organization offering services and that the culture piece was what kind of fell out as like not always sort of having that space for cultural programming. And uh, I think over the last few years, we've seen that because of the pandemic, like less and less of that people hanging out and just coming together in that space if they're not utilizing services. So I think there's a really important opportunity to learn from the many strengths that we've seen at Ed Roberts and also make the Cultural Center something new. So I just want to clarify that there is some, whatever you want to call it, uh, aspect of physical aspect Accessibility. Oh, the, the actual access. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, yeah, for, like we, we went and we looked at the adult changing tables in the bathrooms. We looked at uh, a lot of um, that same approach that was, that, that came up so much in the uh, strategic plan as people saying, like, make sure you've seen Ed Roberts' bathrooms. There's nothing better <laughs> than that. So, like, really making sure that we, we learn from, from what's happened there. Someone. And also just, you know, I've, had conversations with the leaders of that of they're like told us things like we messed up on the cork boards there was link seed oil in there and getting that insider information has been a huge help thank you for that and um with that i'm gonna turn into staff um with staff of um, disability aging services and mayors of disability um Office. So thank you, Chair Madrid. Thank you, oh. Emily, for coming back. I'm going to be very brief because we're needing to take a, our break, <laughs> but we're right on time, which is great <laughs> news. Uh, I just want to say thank you again and offer that as we're developing the materials for the town hall and any other assistance that you'd want with publicity with the focus groups, please do send us material and we'll get it out through our distribution. This is all very, very exciting. There's a lot of us in community that, have, as you know, have been waiting for this for a very long time. So uh, congratulations on the contract and on good work so far. Thank you, Thank Nicole. You. I will send it to you by the end of the day. I appreciate that reminder. Thank you so much, Emily and Sorry, God. Sorry about that. Um, what about this one? Um, is that picking up? Or is it on? So, 
Okay. Is that picking up? Yes. Great. So don't forget about me. <laughs> As a um, East Bay resident and um, somebody with a lot of ties to the ERC and the East Bay disability community, I'm curious, what are your, I mean, you were sort of joking a minute ago <laughs> about we'll do our own thing. Um, but I'm curious what's the thinking so far about how to take advantage of the fact that there is a really strong disability community throughout the Bay Area, really, yeah, especially in the East Bay, and about um, not looking at it solely as a San Francisco thing. Um, so that's really my question. Yeah, I mean, I think um, we have been talking uh, all along about uh, the, the San Francisco Disability Cultural Center is for people who live, work, and play in San Francisco. Um, and then when you factor in the fact that every program will be virtual, uh, there's zero reason to limit to any borders um, anybody. There, you know, so much of the programming that we've been able to do virtually we've heard from people who are in parts of the country where it's unthinkable to them to have a disability cultural center and they're just thirsty for content. And uh, the Bay Area has historically served that role for the country of, of being a leader in disability culture and, and showing what that community can look like. Uh, so we hope that this cultural center will continue that. Um, I also think that that does look like collaboration uh, across the bridge where we, we cross the bridge. <laughs> um, and my co-directors both live in Oakland, so um, at Oakland and Berkeley. Um, I also think there's real partnerships with what Ed Roberts offers and what this new cultural center will offer. Um, I think Ed Roberts is just an incredible venue for big events and galas. And uh, there is a desire for like a cozier space. If you're gonna have like an office retreat and you have 20 people and you want it to be a really disability forward space that this cultural center can uh, be, be a fit. So I hope that we can have a lot of lines of um, collaboration. Thank you so much, Emily. And we're looking forward to um, getting some objects going forward. Thank you. Thank you all for your time. Appreciate it. Um, with that, uh, I'm going to um, let us take a break for 15 minutes. I would ask everybody to come back um, to 45. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV. Welcome back. I'm joint council and commissioners. Today is um, February 15, 2024, uh, for British and Disability Council. Um, now, um, we are going to item number six, uh, discussion item, report on housing needs assessment and plan presented by Melina Leon Berry San Francisco Marathon versus Yen and Capital Planning. Do we have Melina on the line? Yes, I'm here. Hi. Hi, welcome. Go ahead. Thank you so much. Just one um, second. Um, Melinda, yeah. this is Nicole speaking. We just need to switch. Control room, we need to switch to you. There we go. Okay, go ahead. Um, I, it's my, are, are you going up with the slides on the screen? Do you need us to drive the slides? Uh, we can do that. I, I, I don't. Sorry, I thought I thought it was gonna. Um, yeah, I, I, I had that understanding. I apologize. Okay. Well, they're on the screen right now. We just need to. Perfect. Let me see if we can get someone to help us drive in the room here. We have Cindy's here, and she, from Perfect. DAS. Hello, Deputy Director Kaufman. We're gonna drive in the room. So uh, go ahead, Melinda, please. Great, thank you so much. Uh, first, I'd like to thank you both, uh, thank the commission, uh, both just join the meeting more than anything uh, for the opportunity to speak and to be able to present this plan. My name is Malena Leon. I'm part of the San Francisco Planning Department and I've been leading the work of drafting the aging and disability affordable housing implementation plan. Um, Malena, this is Nicole speaking. Yeah. If you could slow down for the benefit of our interpreters, we would very much appreciate it. Yeah, apologies. Thank you so much. Next slide. I would like to first in, uh, start by giving you some background on the implementation plan itself and how it came to be. Next slide, please. Um, in December 2020, 2020, the Board of Supervisors passed Ordinance 20, uh, 26620, and in that ordinance, there was a requirement for two new reports. The first was the Aging and Disability Affordable Housing Overview Report, which needs to be published uh, every two years, and that's a snapshot of the city's funded um, affordable housing for older adults and adults with disabilities. The second report that was part of this ordinance was the Aging and Disability Affordable Housing Needs Assessment, which needs to be published uh, given some new amendments uh, every eight years. And this uh, report must include an analysis of housing needs, 
relevant city programs and recommendations to address unmet needs of older people and other adults and adults with disabilities. Next slide, please. In line with that ordinance, an interdepartmental steering committee was formed to support the work of producing these two reports. This, agent, this uh, committee includes the Department of Disability and Aging Services, the Mayor's Office of Housing and Community Development, the Mayor's Office of Disability, the Department of Homelessness and Supported Service, uh, Housing, and the Planning Department. All of these agencies are part of the steering committee and supported the work of producing these two reports. Now, the first needs assessment uh, aging, it's called the um, 2022 Aging and Disability Affordable Housing Needs Assessment, was published in October 2022, and it came to this joint uh, hearing last year, as you may recall. And it included data on housing needs for older adults and adults with disabilities, an overview of senior and disability affordable housing, and that's existing housing that we have, as well as housing down, uh, down the line, housing that's in our pipeline and will be developed, as well as 49 recommendations to meet unmet needs, basically all of those needs that were identified. This report, however, was not an implementation plan. It just made those recommendations. Therefore, and next slide, please. Uh, the planning department was tasked with turning these 49 recommendations into an implementation plan. And the purpose of this project, of producing this implementation plan, was first to track the status of these recommendations and investigate any potential constraints to their implementation. Second was to reach consensus on responsibility. What agencies are responsible for what, what are the timelines, and what are the funding estimates if they are required or necessary. And finally, to strengthen interagency collaboration and coordination in the service of, you know, for the older people and adults with disabilities. So basically, what we're here to present today is a draft of what has come out of this effort. And I just want to uh, focus before I start working about the plan. Can you go to the next slide, please? about who's served by this plan. This plan mainly serves the following two populations. First, lower income seniors or older adults that rent. And this uh, population can be described in different ways. And that's because of how the funding that we receive from the different entities, uh, you know, what the funding rules are for this population. So for most of these seniors are defined as ages 62 and older. For HSH, uh, uh, there are two different cutoffs depending on the funding. We have 55 and older and 60 and older. Uh, the second population that's served by this plan, I mean, it's not that only these populations are served by the plan, but these are the main populations served by the plan, are lower income adults with disabilities that rent as defined by the, uh, and we're defining this population as defined by the American uh, Disabilities Act, uh, you know, as a person who has a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more major life activities, a person who has a history or record of such an impairment, or a person who is perceived by others as having 
such an impairment. So the idea is that the plant the plant will serve more people outside of these two populations, but it mainly targets these populations because they are the most vulnerable. And who are affordable housing uh, programs should be serving basically. Um, next slide, please. I also want to uh, comment or provide definitions on what do I mean when I say affordable housing. And these are, I'm going to go into what are the three main types of affordable housing that we're trying to, that, that we're discussing in this plan. So the first one is 100% affordable housing. And this is city funded units rented at reduced rates for lower income households. In these in these buildings that are 100% affordable, all the units are rent are, are subsidized units. They're all rented at reduced rates. The second type of affordable housing is inclusionary or below market rate housing, also known as BMR housing. These are units again that are also rented at reduced rates in market rate buildings that are built by for-profit developers. So basically, when a developer wants to develop a building of a certain size, San Francisco is asking them to uh, dedicate a few units in the building towards them being uh, subsidized units or units that are rent are below market rent. Thirdly, uh, is permanent supportive housing, which is very similar to, it's basically 100% affordable housing, but that it's combined with on-site supportive services for people experiencing homelessness or at risk of homelessness. Okay. So now I'd like to, so basically the plan is trying to address this type of affordable housing and those populations, but it doesn't mean that it ends there. It does address other things, but that, those are the main priorities of the plan and the main part of the scope of the plan. Next slide, please. Okay, so plan highlights. Uh, yeah? Did I hear something? No? Okay. Um, I, I would like to now go over, over the plan itself. And first, I want to start by saying that there are six objectives that are part of this plan. Each objective has multiple actions with multiple, with different responsible agencies, timelines and ease of implementation for each of those actions. Given that the city right now has an 800 million deficit, only actions that fit within current work programs have been prioritized for year one and year two, except for crucial actions that require advocacy. And that's the reason we're here today. I wanna focus on actions that need your support in order for them to happen and advocacy from the communities that live in our city. Um, next slide, please. Um, so the plan was uh, developed based on extensive community engagement and research that was performed for the 2022 needs assessment, but you know, also in collaboration with the steering committee that I described earlier. And it was informed as well by several interviews that were done to more than 39 city employees, advocacy organizations, and senior and disability affordable housing developers. It was also supplemented by additional research in areas such as land use, as well as elevator maintenance of uh, subsidized housing. 
Before I go into the content of the plan itself, I just want to mention that this has been truly an interdepartmental effort and that I want to thank all the work and all the advocacy that groups dedicated to older adults and adults with disabilities have done throughout the years. This plan wouldn't be here. A lot of the actions that are here wouldn't be here without their advocacy and continuous support and continuous work. And I think it's important that we recognize the community for their efforts in making all of this possible. Um, all right, so let's jump into the plan. Oh, and the other thing I wanna say, again, what we're trying here to do is to go do an overview of the plan and also to talk about select actions where we believe this joint hearing, this uh, the, the the joint hearing of the two, um, the committee of, and the commission, you know, to get your support for the tasks that I, we think are going to require, you know, a lot more, um, just advocacy, basically. Uh, okay, so objective one, let's go into objective one. So objective one is to facilitate building more housing appropriate for older adults and adults with disabilities, prioritizing affordable housing. And what that means is that we wanna ensure that San Francisco is doing the most to develop affordable housing and to incentivize, incentivize market rate developers to also develop for older adults and adults with disabilities to provide those incentives. We're also working in tandem with other city efforts that are happening at the same time as this plan. And one of them is the 2022 housing element, which was adopted this past year in January, 2023, and which is being implemented right now. And so this work is not uh, happening in a void. It's kind of, it's working alongside that work and in coordination with the work of implementing the housing element, as well as with mostly this consolidated plan, which they're doing all the outreach and engagement right now to build. Uh, to build it. And that consolidated plan is required by HUD in order for us to get funding for housing and for community development programs. Uh, so the, I believe that one of the strengths of this program is that, that it's doing a lot of, of this project in particular, is that it's doing a lot of coordination and collaboration, you know, in line with other efforts that the city is doing right now. For objective one, the select action that I want to go over is um, advocating for state funding to support the development of affordable assisted living. Can you go to the next slide, please? Yeah. Uh, so basically, there's been a proposal to develop uh, senior housing and affordable assisted living housing at Laguna Honda. Uh, that has been going on for quite a few years now, and it hasn't moved forward. And one of the issues is that the state funding that exists today for assisted living, is a, it, it goes with a person. It gets assigned to the person, not to a unit. So it's hard to develop affordable assisted living. And right now, we really don't have that, that model in the city. So we do feel like this, this needs to be a city effort. It would be an innovation of how, um, of how we build housing for, for older adults and adults with disability that need assistance. And uh, it, would be a, it could basically be a pilot for the entire state. And so as part of the proposal that was on the table, there were, it, it included 95 assisted living studios in a lot in Laguna Honda, and it's part of the plan 
to advocate for this state funding, it would require the state creating a new program that attaches the funding to a unit so that developers can have the assurance and we can move forward in coordination with MoCD. Next slide, please. Objective two is to improve maintenance, modifications for accessibility and preservation of affordable housing. As we know, San Francisco's affordable housing stock is essentially uh, is essential to serving older adults and adults with disabilities that rent. And that's because a lot of them uh, live in fixed lower incomes and, and have accessibility needs. And so it's per their, the, the preservation of this type of housing and the, maintain the maintenance is crucial. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the city's permanent supportive housing is in older single room occupancy hotels that we also know them as SROs with elevators that are in poor conditions. And that's been a main focus of the, of the MDC's housing committee that I've actually uh, been attending every month. And so I do wanna go in terms of the selected action for this objectives. Can you please go to the next slide? I do wanna talk about, you know, I've, I've highlighted this action, which is to add a permanent line item to the capital plan for elevator maintenance in city funded affordable housing. And what we're initially recommending is 500,000 annually. There used to be a program a few years ago. It was a rebate program where that was how much was allocated every year, but it was not a permanent line item and it eventually disappeared. Currently there's 10 million uh, um, at HSH. Uh, that will go towards elevator maintenance, but we don't have funding that is permanent uh, to address this issue. And this is an issue of livability, dignity, independence for our older adult and adult with disabilities community. Um, communities. Can we please go to the next slide? For objective three, uh, objective three says that we, um, says we make access to affordable housing units easier for older adults and adults with disabilities. Um, affordable housing isn't affordable for lower income older adults and adults with disabilities who are renters in our city. Um, these populations are making around 50% of the area medium income, while our affordable housing stock is usually built for incomes that are at around 60%. Um, so a lot of our, our affordable housing is inaccessible basically for a lot of uh, lower income, older adults and adults with disabilities. Additionally, um, older adults and adults with disabilities have expressed that the affordable housing system in the city is complex, it's hard to decipher and that the application process isn't always accessible to these populations. So these objectives, this objective tries to um, it, it has actions to address these issues, but in particular today, I do wanna highlight uh, the creation of the disability operating subsidy. This is an idea that has been uh, on the table for at least three years that I know of. And in our initial calculations, it would have an estimated cost to um, of, six, of around $6 million in order to support 30 households. Usually the way the city builds these types of subsidies is planning for at least a 15 year period where we can support those households for that period of time. And so our initial proposal is that the, that the operating subsidy is created and that it's funded at least for 30 households. And this 
would have several benefits. One of them obviously is making affordable housing accessible for a lower income um, adults with disabilities. It would also open up affordable housing for, for more people with disabilities, meaning that perhaps people that cannot access our accessible units because they don't have those particular accessibility needs. And so it would just open access in a bunch of different ways. And so we believe this is an important program that needs to be created and funded. And we recognize that right now there's um, a deficit, but th this, is, this is a crucial step that, that the city needs to take. We've sat, I recently sat at an HCD meeting and I asked for, um, for support for this. Can we go into objective four, please? Objective four, so improve outreach and housing services, um, cultural competency for older adults and adults with disabilities. During the process of developing the needs assessment, older adults and adults with disabilities expressed a general lack of cultural competency in the provision of housing services, the fulfillment of reasonable accommodation requests, and inaccessible communication digitally in person. So basically, we weren't living up to our promise of having accessible communications with the people we serve and how we do our outreach and how we provide the tools for people to have access to our programs. Uh, older adults and adults with disabilities also called for a physical location and online spaces where we centralize the wide range of services, housing services and resources that we have in the city across city agencies. Um, and these are all um, issues that we have taken seriously. We've made great steps um, to advance the act, the recommendations that were put in that needs assessment. But today I wanna focus on um, the training in particular, uh, which was a big uh, thing that came up, you, you know, just how we serve people and how we address their uh, accessibility concerns. So we've, uh, the, the action is calling for the development of standard tra trainings by the city and for, for city staff and for um, housing services staff and to ensure that it gets implemented and that those trainings get tracked basically. And the types of trainings that we've uh, identified is the reasonable accommodation uh, obligations, uh, you know, around those obligations, accessible communication obligations, what, what are the obligations of both service providers and city staff around these issues, elevator maintenance obligations. So basically what um, housing providers need to do in case of uh, an elevator issue and how they need to proceed and what do they need to comply with. And finally, compliance with digital accessibility. So these are things that are moving forward right now, but uh, it, we still need to develop more standard systems of how those trainings happen and how we are tracking them and how we're uh, improving, it, improving them over time. Um, fortunately, MOD has put out a fantastic training on reasonable accommodation requests. And it's been, uh, I believe it's currently being rolled out. I, I sat at one of those um, a few months ago. Objective five is um, enable aging in place by sta stabilizing those who are already housed. So basically, 
in a way, what I've tried to do with the objectives is, you know, like what happens before you apply for housing in the process of applying for housing and then what happen what happens once you're housed. So the purpose of this objective is that we can stabilize whoever is already housed. And this objective in particular, it's not only people who are housed currently in affordable housing subsidized by the city, but also in market rate housing, housing outside of our system. Um, older adults and adults with disabilities are better served when services are co-located and referrals are effective and we're properly trained to do those referrals. So those are part of the issues that this objective also address, addresses. And um, also rental subsidies, tenant rights, counseling, mediation, advocacy, and legal services. All of those also ensure older adults and adults with disabilities remain housed and are part of the scope of this objective. For today, what I want to focus on is basically um, how we, you know, the, the requirement that we're going to make of all property managers, housing counselors and navigators, social services providers, that they are properly trained, that we're also making sure that our training is appropriate and it's um, fulfilling the requirements for serving these populations and that the resource connections that they're making you know, that they're making them in an effective manner uh, and that they're connecting people to behavioral health uh, services, intensive case management and other social services appropriately in a timely manner and in an accessible way. For objective six, we have improved data reporting and accountability on affordable housing and services for older adults and adults with disabilities. So we want to make sure that all of those things that we've been talking about in the other objectives, you know, that we remain accountable, that they get implemented, that we're tracking progress in some way. Um, the needs assessment in particular highlighted the need to improve our data collection on adults with disabilities being served, that we have better data quality and better data sharing among, among city agencies so that we can understand how well we're servicing serving um, these populations. The report also, the needs assessment report, also shed light on the need for the city to better understand its accessible affordable housing inventory and the accessibility features of the units in particular. And that we understand also the processes of how we are assigning people to those units. For today in particular, I just want to focus, you know, the, the, the continued support for um, this interdepartmental collaboration and effort and service coordination, in particular across housing, social and health services agencies, um, and to continue to implement the actions of this, you know, th th this, this collaboration and this coordination will only help us to continue to implement the actions of, the, of, of this plan. Finally, uh, so those are the six objectives. Those are some of the actions that will require your support, your continued support. Uh, obviously, I'm here to answer any questions and expand more on other actions that are, are included in the plan. Um, and I just want to reassure you that a lot of the recommendations that are on the plan, we've already started work on. They're already being implemented or they've been implemented. Uh, but these are some of these actions, you know, we require funding basically and 
a big effort needs to be made by the city in order for those actions to happen. In terms of next steps, um, I just want to provide a little bit of a timeline of what's going to happen next. We're in the process of finalizing the draft plan right now. It's being reviewed by the different agencies. And we're uh, doing a preview of the draft plan with different stakeholders, including in this joint hearing. Uh, we're going to be doing one-on-one uh, -on -one briefings with supervisors um, about it and also with other senior and disability community-based organizations just to get some feedback, make sure that we can clarify things before we publish the report. We're going to take any comments that we've received and make sure that they go into the report and we plan on finalizing the plan in March 2024. The idea right now, as it's planned, it's going to go up for endorsement at the Planning Commission on April 4th. And then after that, we plan on socializing um, the, the implementation plan. So that's basically sort of the timeline of what's happening with the plan um, and what we're working towards. Uh, obviously, once it's been endorsed by the Planning Commission, uh, we will keep working on its implementation and uh, you know, we hope to be able to come back here to keep talking about it in, in, at future meetings. So that's it for my presentation, and thank you very much for giving me this space, and I'm here to answer any questions. I also have the support uh, from Lisa Chen, who's online, and as well as in the room, I believe, um, well, there's Nicole there, and um, Cindy from DAS, as well as Sheila from MoCD, and we're here to answer any questions you may have. Thank you, Marlena. Um, hello. Okay, thank you, Marlena. Now I'm opening up to uh, public comment and then. Make sure microphones are on. <coughs> Milena, can you hear me okay? This is Nicole speaking. Yeah. Okay, try again, Alex. Milena, yeah. can you hear me? Yes. Okay, okay. good, thank you. Now I'm opening up to public comment at this time, and then after that, we're going to do a, um, Commissioners and council members, questions, and then staff. Okay, can you please open public comment? Control room, please put the camera on, my clerk. Thank you. Okay, we can um, start by any person here interested in making a public comment, please come up to the podium and form a line. Or we do have comment cards that you can fill out that you'll find at the front table. Fill out the information there of uh, the purpose of your comment. Uh, do we have anyone here that wishes to make a public comment? Yes, okay, no one do. in person, so I'm going to wait, reach wait, out wait. to those. Uh, wait, hold on. Do you have a comment that you would like to make? Yes. Okay, please come forward. Um, if, if you can give me a quick moment, I need to set up the timer. And then when I give you the go-ahead, you may start. 
Thank you for the presentation. Um, I want to say that it's a good first start um, to have a disability operating uh, subsidy. Uh, I guess that was based upon a senior operating subsidy. But to start, 30 units is obviously not uh, sufficient. Um, in a uh, DOS report eight years ago in 2016, there were approximately 100,000 people in the city of San Francisco uh, with disabilities. Um, coming through with um, the uh, COVID, I'm assuming that there are going to be long COVID survivors. Um, uh, that number has probably increased. And um, on a separate comment, um, on Objective 5, okay, um, lots of people find it really hard to admit that they have a disability. Okay, it's a high bar to step up. And I want to suggest also instead of um, in addition to um, reaching out to disability and senior populations that we that this be done through public service announcement maybe through uh, any uh, ongoing eventbrite um, um, type um, uh, information uh, with both um, in-person as well as uh, Zoom, WebEx type situation where um, the general public without having to go through an organization can access this information. Thank you. Thank you for the comment. Do we have public comment at this time in the room? Is there anyone else in the room that wishes to make a public comment? So I'm going to see anyone online through the webinar. I, I don't uh, believe we do. If you could, just in case, no hands up, no hands up. And we see no one online, so yeah. I'm going to move I, on from there. We can there. close public comment. Thank you for so that. Uh, if I could, yeah, there's no one online, so we're just going to head and um, if you wish to provide um, information from the council, please provide your contact information by sending an email to mdc at sfgov.org um, with the subject matter of M MDC uh, 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 reply. Or you can call us at 415-555-6789. 554-6789. Thank you. Alex. Now, now I'm going to turn into um, council members and commissioners questions. Do we have any commissioners or council members questions? Okay, I'm going to go through the line I'll get first and then and I'll get to go ahead. Hi.
Hello, this will be short. This is just a quick thing. Um, but I do want to, uh, I do have a question regarding to, uh, let's see, 95 assisted support. Uh, I'm just thinking about the numbers. I don't think that's enough. I'm thinking about the type of support that assisted living would require. And I'm thinking about, um, I, you know, individuals I've met, deaf senior citizens who've applied for assisted living here in San Francisco. And the list is over 300 people long. So I'm just not sure if those numbers are syncing up with the actual need. I mean, 95. I think that's, you know, there's quite a few people who've applied. I think people are looking for assisted living support and that it's a challenge for the city to meet those needs. That being said, one of the issues I feel uh, is that, um, you know, in my opinion, we need to ask for more things. You know, I think we're um, posting in certain neighborhoods of San Francisco, but I don't know if, um, this is just food for thought, that we should be thinking about um, communication access needs and also the support because communication access has not been met. At least for deaf people who live in the city, there's been extreme frustration, even to this day, that we've seen where people have tried to get communication needs met, tried to get things done, and the city's response is just do it yourself. You know, and this, there are no deaf-based organizations in San Francisco. There aren't places where people can go to get a support due to budget cuts. And I think the issue is that we're really stuck in a number of ways. And there's been so many people struggling to get communication access at a minimum let alone apply for public housing or other assistance and support. It's, it's extremely frustrating. So I'm thinking about uh, top concerns right now and really the barriers for this specific group that I'm speaking of are quite high. More than 50% of uh, adults at some point lose their hearing or experience hearing loss. So just thinking about what the needs are, maybe 16,000 people who are experiencing um, uh, houselessness and thinking about the uh, number of people, the population that's being served in that. There has to be a way that we strategize uh, with these uh, population needs in mind. Thank you. I, I recognize that this is not enough support. Uh, just answering also about the disability uh, operating subsidy. <laughs> I just want to mention that the 95 units, it's not that we're going to ask for support just for 95 units, but uh, the idea, I, I'm putting that as an example because we have a site, a public site where we can do a pilot program, which is Laguna Honda. And the initial proposal was that that pilot program, that's how many uh, units they were helping to develop. This program from the state does not exist currently. Um, and it would have the state would have to create the program just to be able for us to pilot this. So we're trying to offer it as an example of what is possible, but definitely the need is much bigger, and we need to ask for way more support than that. Uh, but at the very least, we want to prove that this is a need that there is. That currently we have no sites where people can live, you know, in an assisted living um, setting that is affordable um, and the more affordable options that we have we've been losing you know it's the smaller residential care facilities 
um, and we've been losing them because they've been getting converted into housing because that maybe that pencils more or the families no longer want to keep those services uh, in their units. But I do recognize that, you know, it's not enough. And I appreciate your comments about, um, you know, the, the, the barriers with communication access. And I'll have a conversation with the steering committee about, you know, strengthening maybe some of the strengthening some of the actions around that. We do have actions that I believe respond to those needs, uh, but not, I don't think, from what I recall, special actions that are funding, um, besides you know asking for assisted living or uh, operating subsidies, those those services. But I'll review it with the steering committee for sure. Thank. Great, thank you so much, I really appreciate it. Thank you, and Commissioner Jen? Yes, thank you. Uh, no. <coughs> we need a, no. Let's try this one. Is this one working? Yes. yes. Okay. Um, thank you, I just actually have a comment in general, not specific. Um, I first of all want to thank for thank you for the update on the status on housing addressing this housing need. I think housing in San Francisco is is a big problem for everyone and anyone, and and more especially for seniors and people with disability with limited income. And I appreciate the collaboration that's been going on to try to address the need. Um, I do hear concerns that uh, this not enough, but I think. Um, I'm worth looking at a positive. At least we're taking the beginning steps, and that there is this great steering committee of collaboration of different city departments that's addressing, looking at this uh, to help us move forward. Um, the one minor recommendation I want to make is that I think it's important to continue to make sure that we get in this information out. Uh, that there'd be more outreach and communication regarding um, this plan and, and um, in order to basically let more people know. Uh, as the person who made the public comment, I agree with her that we need to just get more information out in, in, in a more global way. Thank you. Thank you. And then we have um, Council Abbott's No. Sherry. Yes, got it. There we go. Yep. Okay. Um, thank you, Milena. Um, uh, one couple comments. One on um, objective five. Um, it, it's requiring a whole slew of um, different staff. Um, including property managers and navigators and social service people to be trained um, in mental health, behavioral health, intensive case management. I just think that, I just don't know how realistic that's going to be, especially with property managers and who's going to provide this training. I mean, that sounds, absolutely in a perfect world like the most wonderful thing but um, just thinking about a property manager 
um, being able even to step in in that capacity um, when they can't even get their elevators to work. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm being very cynical, but I'm hope this sounds great, but actually who, who would be providing this training? I apologize, property manager should not uh, be there. There's, a, there's another action regarding training that does concern property managers, mm -hmm. but this is more geared towards people who are providing the social services and housing counselors and navigators that are also connecting people to resources. And those trainings already happen. So, I mean, we're already training, you know, that's trains, uh, I believe, HSH is also coordinating trainings with the people providing housing services. Um, so we do have a program, like we are tracking the, those types of trainings, but, you know, sometimes we just need to have more coordination between, for example, DAS and HSH or, or MoCD so that whoever is providing referrals, that they know, you know, how to do the referral appropriately and that they're connecting people to services in a more effective manner. So it's not that it's not happening, it just needs to be, that work needs to be strengthened and that coordination between the agencies needs to be strengthened. Through the chair, this is Nicole speaking, if I might add with my um, steering committee hat on, one of the things that we found in the needs assessment is that people with disabilities in particular said we needed to improve cultural sensitivity and awareness around uh, for all of our persons providing services to those populations. So that's partly what this is in response to. Mm. Okay, thank you. Um, I. I do have another question on objective six um, concerning data collection, um, data reporting, accountability. Um, I, I just, and also about um, better understanding um, affordable housing inventory. I would think this would be something moved up in priority. Um, because if you, for me, I'm thinking, you know, how do you even, if we don't know what we have to start with, um, and we don't know how valid our data is, even what's in existence out there, um, how do, you know, how do you know what is it, what the need is? And in effect, this makes me feel like there are, residents in um, affordable housing or low-income housing that may not even belong in them, if, if that's, that's my thinking. So um, that concerns me about not knowing the inventory that, that is existing right now. Um, I, I'd love to... Um sort of provide some context to this action in particular. The main point of the action is that this, uh, that we can continue to work on this collaboration and coordination between the agencies and that we work on how we collect affordable housing data better and how we share it and standardize it with the, between the agencies better. Because that's been an issue. Each of the agencies uses different platforms to track their information. Now, I do want to make clear that 
MoCD has uh, is has already sort of pitched their way that they're tracking their inventory. And it's not that we don't know how many accessible units we have or where they are at, especially since we changed the system and we're now working with Dahlia. Dahlia is giving very consistent and very uh, solid data on accessibility and the type of accessibility that it's in our units and where they're located and the unit number, like very specific information about that. The, the information gets a little bit less re, uh, reliable with our older stock, but even that stock is being updated as the as new waiting lists get created. Um, we're, one place where we found that we need to vet the information better is with um, permanent supportive housing. So we do know where the accessible units are and we have them identified, but we don't know is sort of the, the accessibility we don't we aren't as clear as how truly accessible they are and what type of accessibility features they have if they are 100% access you know if, if they like meet all the accessibility needs that by current standards we we should have and so uh, in a more specific action in the plan we're saying you know let let's look at those units in particular and learn sort of how um, how how accessible they really are now, in terms of the assignation of, of units, I did look at that issue. That issue came up for the needs assessment. This idea that people who, uh, that accessible units are not being used by people who have accessibility needs. And so I, I was tasked to look at those processes, both at MoCV and HSH. Um, and I would love to give you some context on that. For MoCV in particular, uh, that, since the insertion of Dahlia, that's no longer an issue. Accessibility, you know, when people apply for a unit and they say they have an accessibility need, uh, that gets noted. When the list gets created, we basically divide it into two, the people that have accessibility needs and the people that don't have accessibility needs. And for the units that are accessible, we go down that particular list. Um, for example, for our most, one of the more recent developments, there were 10,000 applications, and just for accessible units, I think it was around 800 people had applied for them. So we, so we have more than enough people to fill those units. Um, and we're also assigning, the, you know, in, a, in an affordable housing building, not all the units are assigned to the same income levels. So we're most of these also making an effort to assign the lower AMIs or the lower incomes to those units in particular as well to make them more accessible. I don't believe that, you know, uh, most of the anymore has an issue with this, but I do have to say that if a, a unit may be accessible, but it doesn't mean that it's accessible, that it's designated for a person with disabilities. And what that means is that if we ran out of that list, and we didn't find anybody in the list that had applied for an accessibility unit that we, an accessible unit that's still available, then it's gonna go to someone who doesn't have an accessibility need. But we do make them, if that were to happen, which it hasn't happened since Dahlia was inserted, um, we make them sign up temporary lease and a contract that once a unit that's not accessible gets uh, opens up, they have to move. Um, so we can open up that accessible unit. I hope I'm being clear, but basically yeah. 
I do not believe that's an issue anymore. It may be an issue in older housing stock, um, but it's the same thing. If somebody who doesn't have an accessibility needs, it's occupying an accessible unit, they, they uh, have this contract where they, they'll move as soon as another unit becomes available within the building. For HSH, um, that, that process is very uh, solid as well. You know, as people get into coordinated entry, that's where we are catching, you know, whether or not they have accessibility needs and they are being assigned into accessible units. HSH, as I was told by the person <laughs> I interviewed, at any given time has so much vacant, but it has a large number of vacant units, like in the hundreds. So at any given time, they do have accessible units available for the people that have been referred to housing, just because they have so much attrition, right? Like people like entering and leaving the housing. Um, so I do want to assure that I don't believe that, you know, making sure that a person with accessibility needs gets assigned to an accessible unit is it's a, it's a, it's a, it's necessarily an issue today. But I do think uh, we need to strengthen uh, our knowledge of how accessible some of our units uh, are. And we do need to strengthen how we communicate between agencies and how we collect also data on who we're serving. Because obviously due to fair housing uh, issues, you know, people need to self-disclose, uh, you know, whether or not they, uh, they have a disability. And, we just don't have any data about how many unit, how many people were serving in affordable housing uh, on the MoCD side of things. So in 100% affordable housing. Um, so that's another thing that we're trying to fix for. I, I just dumped a lot of information on, on all of you. So if you have any follow-up, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Melina. Thank you. Are there any commissioners or council members has to question at this time. Online on topics. I have I have a question. Go ahead. Uh, Malena, uh, could you explain the financing? Do you have the financing? Uh, for example, for the disability operating subsidy, I, I don't know if I heard you correctly but it sounded rather sketchy that you would have that and be able to keep it. Like you, would, you said that you could, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you could have that money maybe for a while and then you'd have to have it renewed. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we've created a draft proposal for the operating, operating subsidy. This program has not been created, nor is it funded right now. Uh, it still needs to be vetted, but the, the first numbers that we ran for 30 households, right? If that's how we, that was like the initial proposal also that SDA did uh, when they proposed this to OCB. Um, if we did it for 30 uh, households, what we're assuming is that, um, it would be, you know, 30 people that would go into, um, sorry, I'm like reading the, the, the proposal, it's in front of me, and I can send it to you guys later, like, to review, but we're assuming that they would go into units that are at 60% AMI, which is kind of the average of what we develop our units at, uh, and we're assuming that they're receiving SSI and SSP as their income, 
So what we're doing is trying to build, bridge the gap between an affordable rent to somebody living on SSI uh, income and uh, the rent of the unit. I don't know if that makes sense. So if, if the unit is at a certain cost and they're making this much income and this would be their affordable rent, we're trying to bridge that gap. Uh, and then we're calculating that gap for 15 years. So anytime we fund a subsidy of this kind, that's a more permanent subsidy, we fund it initially for 15 years because obviously we don't expect someone, we don't expect, we don't want to fund it just for three years because we expect people to stay in their unit for a long time. So always when we build this type of subsidy, just as the senior operating subsidy, we plan for a 15 year timeline. And when we ask for the money, we already plan, okay, we're going to have 30 people living at this particular, uh, having this particular income. And this is the gap we need to meet. And we need to meet this gap for 15 years. Does that make sense? So when we make those numbers, that amount is around six, around six million dollars to to start the program for the thirty households, and then we would have to, you know, keep building it to serve more households. But every time we build it and we put more funding into it, the funding has to be assured. You know, we have to make sure that we're offering funding for fifteen years because we don't want to. We don't want every anybody to run out of this subsidy. I don't know if Sheila would like to add anything else. She's coming up to the microphone. Did the commissioner have additional questions? It looked like she I didn't. Ask. I didn't. Sheila, um, Renee was asking you if you have additional comments based on the questions. To summarize what Milena was saying, that the operating subsidy does not currently exist. This is a proposal. Um, and the way that we calculate it is looking at the gap that would be needed to move people into those units. But I think the core of her question was, is the funding actually available? And the answer is no, not right now. Okay, thank you. Are there any, um, are there any comments or questions from council or commissioners? I have a question. Um, maybe Sheila can, uh, or Melinda can, um, educate us regarding the, the portal. Um, I understand that some of of affordable housing is going to correct? Yes. So uh, she Sheila Nicolopoulos, I'm the Director of Policy and Ledge Affairs at MOHCD. Thank, Thank you. you. Nice uh, to meet you. <laughs> so um, Dahlia, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So Dahlia is an online portal that was created in 2017 mm -hmm. for all affordable housing units that are not managed through the coordinated entry system, which is for people exiting homelessness. So there's two tracks. There's a track for those exiting homelessness, and that's managed through HSH. And then the Dahlia portal is for all other affordable units in San Francisco, whether those are um, inclusionary units or those are in 100% affordable buildings. Those go through Dahlia. So in 2017, we created a very clean, simple online portal that people can access from their phone mm. to be able to apply for affordable units. My quite thank you for that. 
I bike was it and um maybe I didn't need a little bit improvement on clarify on on the portal when it comes to people with disability when they applying for certain units that they interested in um some of the information is confusing. For example, the income limit. Um, sometimes I saw or I seen one particular property has a certain income limit, and when when someone apply to that you property, they've been told that the income is too high because of ADA requirement, whatever maybe. So I think it would be good for us to make it clear on, on from beginning what is the income limit for ADA units and for non-ADA units, that's one. And the second thing is that my question to you is that I understand that we're talking about low-income people which so um, passionate about that, but I just wondering if we have an objective on the plan when it comes to people who has disability but working professional. And I just curious on how would you for lagging up the term categorize them when it comes to applying for quote-unquote affordable housing. Like I said, it's so confusing for some people that apply for affordable housing, like I done for those people who working, but their income is above and and they don't know that their income is above um, the child. So to summarize, the question is that the application process for Dahlia can be confusing. Yes. And I think that a lot of people would say that, not just across the population. Um, and we recognize that. And so in creating Dahlia, we are trying to find a balance of creating a very easy system to enter into um, so that we're not requesting a lot of information up front. And we ask people to self-report their income rather than submit a lot of paperwork to verify their income. And then once we've run the lottery and place them in the lottery, um, then that's when income verification happens. So it's that self-reporting where sometimes there is a discrepancy between what is actually allowable in a unit, like what the threshold mm -hmm. is for that unit, um, 
And sometimes that's as simple as just a misunderstanding of net versus gross income or you know, the number of people in a household and how that gets calculated. I think we recognize that this is, you know, in our effort to make it a simple system, sometimes these questions get deferred to later in the process. Um, so we will continue to work with Mayor's Office of Disability and others to try and, you know, we're always fine tuning the system and the application process, um, particularly for, for, for populations that have a hard time, but for the population in general, because we yeah. recognize that sometimes they're, it can be, navigating any bureaucratic process can be challenging. Yeah, and then I guess my second question on that is that when it comes to um, low income to moderate income population with people with disability that has above um, allocated um, and the unit, and of course, um, I think someone, I think I forgot if Millennium mentioned it, but the MI, um, 60% or 70%, I just could on, um, it would be interesting if. We have that information on a particular website, or I mean, I think it would be beneficial for people with disability that is working and has um, potential housing needs to it. I think it would be good to identify those needs as well um, beside the, the low-income population. We absolutely... Hi, Alex. Oh, who's that? It's Malena. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just wanted to... I think I'm understanding Alex's question, and I think it has to be with... with you know, what happens with people with disabilities who don't have uh, such a low income, right? Like who are more at the more moderate income. Is that correct, Alex? Yes, and I think, um, like, I think we need to be cautious on how we can include those population on the studies and support and help people like those people that has moderate income that has yeah. disability. Yeah, I, I'd just like to ask, and I think maybe your question is coming from the fact that I mentioned that MoCD is making, is ensuring that some of these accessible units are, that the income assigned to some of these accessible units is the, the lower, uh, in the lower incomes that will be in the, in the building. So I just like to clarify that for a lot of our 100% affordable housing buildings, it's not a, 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 an income level across the board. We actually have a programming where like some units might be at 80%, some at 60, some at 50, some at 30. And not, you know, and most of these making sure that some of the accessible units are being assigned at 30% of income if there's uh, 
going to be uh, units at that level of income, I, I but not, the, not all of them. I understand that, but in what I was, um, I was encouraging everybody in this meeting yeah. is don't forget people who has those moderate uh, income and has disability also. And I think it would be nice to have that information in front of the law wherever you guys decide to put that information on so that people can easily identify and apply. That's all I'm asking, and I think it would be good to um, and, um, do a study how many people who has that income going forward. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, and um, with that, I'm going to ask if staff has questions or comments. This is Nicole speaking, the director of MOD. I just wanted to say thank you to everyone for uh, being here today. Thank you especially to uh, to Milena. I, it is very passionate about this, and it's really uh, moved uh, these objectives forward. I, I just want to reemphasize for you as the council members and for members of the commission, uh, the objectives that Melina highlighted today, as well as any additional ones that you might be thinking of as a result of this conversation, really do need continued advocacy. So I do encourage the, the council uh, to follow up if you have additional requests and, and, and really um, uh, think about which pieces of this, if not all of them, that you would like to advocate for. Uh, and uh, we hope that you do, and we need your help. And so it's just another kind of putting an exclamation point on, on, on uh, Melinda's point, which is we have a lot of really good intentions, and we're going to need continued support from the community like you to make it happen. Uh, that's all from me. I do an common Come from the staff. Nope, I no, I think we're good. Um, I just want to say thank you very much for the work in this report. And, and um, for you to come in, and I hope this is a start for us to work together and advocate for people with disability in, um, in the city. Um, now I'm going to go to item number seven, MOD, um, Deputy Director Debbie Copland, Information Item Correspondence. Okay. Um, thank you, Co-Chair Madrid. <clears throat> oh, 
Okay. Thank you. Is the mic picking up? Okay. So, um, correspondence that has been received as of today. Um, we can, the MDC continues to receive emails in support of a citywide no turn on red policy. Um, you received 16 additional emails in the past month um, or since last December. In addition to that, um, there have been two letters addressing the issue of um, where bike share stations are located by the MTC um, with um, a lengthy letter which has been shared with council members from Howard Chabner describing difficulties um, experienced by him as a user of an accessible van um, in finding a parking throughout the city. Um, I'll summarize his letter because it's pretty lengthy. Um, in particular, he was responding to a proposal to locate an additional bike rental station um, near um, Fell Street um, and um, near Grove and Masonic. Um, and he pointed out that there already are existing bike rental stations in that area. And he was objecting to creation of one more because it would eliminate street parking. Um, and he describes in his letter many of the different reasons that parking spaces have been removed in his neighborhood, um, resulting in the elimination of um, dozens of spaces. Um, he also points out difficulties in finding appropriate parking for wheelchair access, accessible vehicles because of sidewalk planters, um, and then uh, the additional difficulties because of street cleaning days when parking on streets is not allowed. Um, he also points out that parking has become difficult for caregivers uh, on many different other people who um, have businesses where they need to serve people in residential areas. Um, and then a second letter on the same topic was received um, by Lisa Aubrey, who um, made several of the points that um, were made by Howard Chabner as well. Um, and so um, that summarizes the correspondence that has been received. Thank you, David. 
Um, now I'm opening up to Bob General public comment. Hello, this is uh, John Costa. At this time, members of the public may address the council on items of interest to the public that are within the subject matter jurisdiction of the council, but which are not on today's meeting agenda. Each member of the public may address the council for up to three minutes. Unless the co-chair determines that in the interest of time, comments may be limited to a shorter time when there are a large number of public comments. A reminder that the Brown Act forbids the council from taking action or discussing any items not appearing on the posted agenda, including those items raised at public comment. If you would like to a response from the council, please provide your contact information by email message to mdc at sfgov.org with a subject line of MDC comment reply requested or call us at 415-554-6789. At this time, seeing if there's any public comment from the audience that is present. I'm not seeing any. And we have none on WebEx. Uh, And that is the end of the discussion of public comment and we turn it to the co-chair. Thank you. Now I'm going to do a um, ask the council and commissioners if there is any comments or an announcement at this time. Seeing none, um, without an objection, I'm gonna. Adjourn before I adjourn the meeting. I just want to say thank you for commissioners uh, to join us, um, Director um, Derman, Director Vernon, um, Deputy Director um, Coblin, and interpreters. Um, the cake, John, thank you, and um, thank you for uh, my fellow cousins. And with that, I just want to um, um, say happy third uh, three-day weekend. And without objection, I'm going to adjourn the meeting myself. Four or five.